We are cranking right through summer. It's just getting away. Um, that's the one thing about the seasons. They go by quickly, except for winter. It seems to last forever. And then the good weather months, they just sail right by. I hope you're having a good summer. I hope you're walking with the Lord and growing in His grace. And we are uh, planning just a fantastic season at Emmanuel. Well, we're in Psalm 51, and I thank you for joining me today. We want to cruise into this psalm. It's a psalm of repentance, one of seven in the psalms. This is David's repentance after he sinned against God. He has committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. She's married. He has now had her husband murdered because she conceived a child. And it's a complicated story, but... Uh, now they are married, and the child is on its way. They're hiding their sin, which is a dangerous and a bad thing. They're leading now out of hypocrisy, and David knows this. And so Nathan, the prophet, comes to confront David, and David repents. And this is the psalm of his repentance. He transcribed, he journaled his repentance to God. Now, I want to set it up this way before we begin to read and get into verse 1 conceptually. Because repentance is, uh, it's a complicated um, question in our 21st century. People don't really understand it. I, I read, um, a, a lot of people don't, let me say, and, and often it's turned into a work like penance. Um, and often it's separated from uh, the act of true belief in terms of saving faith, as though first you repent and then you believe. And that's, that's like separating the back side of a coin from the front side of a coin. They, they go together and they're impossible to separate. Um, but, but let's get an understanding of what repentance is because this psalm is a psalm of repentance. The word means to change your mind, a, a true change of mind, okay? Not just a, uh, a hypocritical assent, okay? <clears throat> we have the capability of assenting to something, but at the depths of our consciousness and our being, we have no intention of, of that assent, uh, assent. We're just complying externally. That's not repentance, okay? A true change of mind uh, is I believed this and now I believe this. That's repentance. Uh, I believed I was uh, perfectly justified in my sin and did not need a savior. That's unrepentance. And now I agree with God that my sin is wrong and I need a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior, and I'm going to believe in Jesus. That is repentance. So somebody wouldn't believe in Jesus uh, truly if they didn't understand their need to and why in terms of their guilt before God. So that's why repentance and belief really are inseparable. They go together. Um, if someone makes repentance a labor, like you have to have a certain quantifiable amount of emotion or regret or remorse, you could, but that doesn't... It, it, strong emotion doesn't equal repentance. Repentance, true repentance, can sometimes have strong emotion, okay? The Bible says that um, uh, our guilt can motivate us, the, the fear of God can motivate us to repentance, or the goodness of God can motivate us to repentance. So um, repentance is when we, is when we turn um, in, from unbelief to belief, or from un, um, uh an awareness, an unawareness that our sin is wrong and 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 um, has separated us from God to an awareness, and we accept the reality of that, and we place our trust and faith in Christ and in His mercy. So, you have these concepts in the Bible of repentance, and the idea of religion is that you you keep trying to earn God's favor by over and over doing good works to atone for yourself. 
But the sense of this psalm and the sense of the whole Bible is you can't atone for yourself. Good works don't atone for your sin. And so then there's this ambiguity of uh, do we ask forgiveness once or do we ask forgiveness over and over? Because David, as he writes this psalm, is by definition, through our New Testament lens, he is a Christian. He is a believer. He is a heart faith follower of God. He has received already much uh much before this event, the atonement of God on his behalf, <clears throat> the coming atonement. So why does he need to ask forgiveness? Because First John 1, 9 says, if we seek forgiveness, he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And Hebrews teaches that Jesus is the full atonement, the comprehensive atonement for all of our sins. So when I'm saved, I'm comprehensively forgiven of all of my sin, past, present, and future, right? So there's this tension in Scripture and every now and then somebody will say to me, I don't ever have to ask forgiveness because uh, I did once. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is, in a sense, true because we are comprehensively forgiven at salvation. But wait a minute. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, trespasses, as we forgive those that have sinned against us. So if if Jesus said, when you pray, ask forgiveness, what's that all about? If we've already been for, forgiven, what is that all about? Is it appropriate to ask forgiveness when we pray? Of course it is, and here's why. And these concepts are held in somewhat of a tension in Scripture, and this is true about many concepts in Scripture. They're held in tension. It's often not either or, it's both and, okay? So are we comprehensively forgiven in Christ? Yes, should we acknowledge our sin before God when we are aware of it? Yes. Why? Because there's a there's an entering into, a reappropriating of um, the, the forgiveness, a, a fresh sense of that comprehensive forgiveness of God and a, re, and, and a memory of the fact that I can only come back to God on the basis of his mercy. Let me give you an illustration. If one of my adult children sins against me, offends me, there's a relational fracture. Now, it doesn't mean they're not my child. It doesn't mean I love them any less. It doesn't mean they love me any less. It doesn't mean they're not already forgiven. But there needs to be relationally an acknowledgement of the hurt um, and a um, amending of the offense so that the intimate side of the relationship, the personable side of the relationship can be resolved. And that is is what happens relationally with you and God. Judicially, comprehensively, familially, you are never out of the favor, love, care of God, even when you sin, if you've trusted him. Once you trust Jesus, you enter into the mercy of God and you can never be lost, okay? But day to day, week to week, repentance is something, repentance is something you did once when you met Jesus for the first time and you received him. And you put all of your core trust in him. That's salvation, okay? And you're never lost from that. But repentance then is open to you. It's like the door is open. It's the, the veil was torn at the temple. And you, are, you have direct access to the mercy seat, to the mercy of God. And so when you sin, you acknowledge that sin. And you reappropriate that forgiveness. It's not that you're being re-forgiven. It's that you are entering back into the, the experience of a, of a right, whole, resolved, reconciled relationship with God. You are acknowledging that your sin drew your heart away.
Uh, did God go anywhere? No, you went somewhere. Okay. And so you're, a, you're entering back into that. So it's so important theologically that you have this right. Otherwise, you'll get the idea that you're being saved over and over and over again, which is not possible. Hebrews makes that clear. Okay. It's a once and for all thing. But you are entering back into, uh, you are drawing up close to the heart of God again, experientially, okay? Um, Judicially, you were never far away. Experientially, you wandered. And so you're coming back. That's what's happening in this psalm. And and so let's read it. We'll just maybe do the first verse or two uh, and meditate on these things. The, the, the reality is God wants us to understand our sin and acknowledge our sin. And he wants us to enter back into and cry out and receive and reappropriate would be a better word. Again, his mercy um, so that we walk with him with a clear conscience. So David says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. The mercy of God is a, a free-flowing, unending river of pity and compassion and favor and grace. It is to behave towards someone with pity and tenderness and gentleness. So David is saying, God, the only way I can come to you is if you're merciful. He's not trying to blame shift. He's not trying to cover and hide or ignore. He is openly admitting to God he he is wronged and he needs mercy. And he's asking for it. And he's going to get it. Because God never withholds his mercy from those who ask. But look at the next phrase, according to thy loving kindness. So David says, God, let the mercy you give me be according to your heart, the vastness of your love, not according to my sin, not according to my shame or guilt. If it were according to me, I wouldn't get any mercy because I don't deserve it. So let it be according to the the, the goodness of your heart, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. There it is again. The vast supply of your unending, flowing mercy, gentleness, pity, compassion towards me. Blot out. The idea of blotting out is literally to to wipe out, to wash away, um, to exterminate. Uh, You've probably heard of this in our justice system. If somebody commits a crime, um, sometimes there's, there's an option in the law that after a certain period of time, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe longer, they can have their record. And I forget the legal term. My mind is going blank. But basically, their record can be washed clean. Uh, They can be exonerated. They can have it done away with as though though the crime never happened. Uh, It can be completely taken off the books. And then when it goes to applying for a job and things like this, that background check, that crime doesn't show up. Um, and uh, there are several people that I'm aware of in my life, in my past, that that's happened to. They've had their record expunged. That's the word. That's the legal term, expunged. So David is saying, God, would you expunge my record? Would you expunge my transgressions? And and he doesn't want just the record to be expunged. Look at this in verse 2, and i got to wrap up pretty quickly here. Wash me <clears throat> throughly from my iniquity. The idea of washing was the, it was like the way they did their laundry, okay? And think of not not a washing machine, but a, <clears throat> a manual kind of thorough cleansing of a garment. And uh, this, this was, David was saying, um, 
God, per, cleanse me of this, of this impurity. In my life, in my daily practical life, in my conscience, in my mind, free me from the bondage of it. You know how you carry shame and guilt and you, 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 you're probably harder on yourself, okay? You carry it. I've heard people say, I know God forgives me. I just don't know if I can forgive myself. In a sense, David is saying, it just wash this out of me. <clears throat> Not only in my record before you, but in the living of my life, wash me thoroughly, from, thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me judicially, cleanse me practically, Give me a life that's free from this. Uh, take me forward in life. What a, what a powerful prayer. What a powerful beginning, an honest dealing, an honest reckoning of his failure with God. Great leader, great king, man after God's own heart, but he fell. And now he comes to God and says, God, would you have mercy on me according to your vast love? Would you have uh, mercy according to to your tender mercy and would you wash me could you cleanse me could you blot out could you expunge my record and God's answer is always yes on the basis of Jesus 